I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Autumn and I are going to catch up, and then we're going to talk about Bob Woodward and Robert Costa's latest book about the end of the Trump presidency and all the chaos that uh, we thought was going on, but had no idea what was going on in the background. As we discovered, former Vice President Dan Quill saved democracy. Who knew? And then we're going to talk about where we are in COVID-19, the pandemic. Many of our clergy clergy are just struggling right now. We're going to talk about an opportunity that uh, Good Faith Media is offering churches across the country. And then we're going to talk about TikTok because we have a very special guest with us this week, Jeremy Coleman, otherwise known as that pastor from Oklahoma. So stay tuned. It's going to be a good episode. I'm Reverend Starlet Thomas a womanist in ministry, and the host of the Raceless Gospel podcast from Good Faith Media. It's season two, and we're still talking about that taboo trinity, race, religion, and politics. This season of the Raceless Gospel has eight episodes, eight podcast church services. The doors of this church are open, and we're going to talk about the sticks and stones we carry faithfully that break the skin and bones of Christ's body. And on each episode, we're joined by those who bring perspective and insight as to how we set these broken bones and perhaps make things right. The Raceless Gospel Podcast, eight episodes. I'm your podcast pastor, Reverend Starlet Thomas. Join us as we discuss the church in North America's bodywork. Learn more at goodfaithmedia.org. Autumn, how are you doing this week? We are, you know, we are doing well. We have most of our children back in school, which is always a great, uh, a, a great thing when you have a house full of children. And so, have so work come on, come on, be honest, be, be honest with you. On, oh. on the on the first day, did you just kind of sit there for an hour and just sit I there mean, in silence? I may have very luxuriously drank my coffee while it was still hot. <laughs> which, if you're a mom or a dad out there, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So yes, I, I, we could hear the collective uh, cheers and celebrations across the country as children went back to school. So, But everybody's doing okay? Uh, no yeah. more COVID cases in your house? No more COVID cases. They do seem to be picking up every runny nose and stomach bug along the way, but I think that's just a part of building their immune systems back after being isolated for so long. Yeah, well, that is the Petri dish of public schools. That's They should put that on a sign and say, hey, welcome <laughs> back, students. Here's your virus. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, what do you think about this new book that is being released next week by Bob Woodward, uh, who is infamous for his Watergate covering back in the 70s in the Nixon administration? And Robert Costas, they're talking about the last few months of the Trump presidency. And oh my gosh, Autumn, I mean, we thought things, I mean, we knew things were bad, but come on, they got really bad, didn't they? Yeah, it's really interesting that all the things that we worried about happening were happening and then slash so close to happening. It sort of makes you um, trust your gut a little bit more than you used to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, two revelations that really came up was one uh, that in 
the, the latter days of the Trump presidency, especially after the insurrection of January the 6th, uh, the Joint Chiefs, the, the chairman of the Joint Chief, General Milley, actually had meetings with White House personnel, with government officials, uh, with Pentagon officials, talking about the president's mental state and that they truly needed to follow to the letter of the law, uh, protocols for nuclear attacks, for waging war, making certain that a president who was unhinged, uh, and everybody knew it, um, did not get us into further escalation of war and try to attempt a coup over the federal government because we were seeing it with our own eyes on January the 6th. I mean, just crazy stuff if you think about it. It's really crazy and it's scary. You know, I remember you and I podcasting that week of January 6th and saying, where do we live? Like, what is happening? If you saw this unfolding on a news station and didn't have the the geographic reference, you didn't recognize the landmarks, right? Right, right. You would not have been able to name what country this was happening in. Yeah. And, of course, now there are calls, especially by uh, right-wing uh, Republicans, uh, asking for General Milley's ouster, uh, even throwing around the term treasonous. And I'm just, I'm just not seeing it. I mean, here we have a president who incited a insurrection on January the 6th. He was impeached by the House, uh, was not convicted by the Senate. But, I mean, all indication was he was not going away quietly. And there was always... He, do, he didn't do anything quietly. Right. And there was not a peaceful transition of power because we no. have January 6th, and I'm tired of people saying that there was. There was not. No. And now these senators and representatives are piling on General Miley, or Millie just saying that he has committed treason. That is a bunch of bogus... And Careful. I'm going to leave it right there. <laughs> I was about to alliterate right there and I stopped. I know you were. <laughs> but it's just it's just crazy. And and yeah. I think General Milley is is an American hero. Uh, he mm -hmm. was he was ensuring that democracy was going to uh, be saved, that democracy was going to be maintained, and that his constitutional duty as a general in the United States military uh, was impeccable. And I think he acted with integrity and grace and, and wisdom. So kudos to the general. Yeah. Speaking of other acts of incredible uh, wisdom, I guess, on their part during that time, we found out that, uh, you know, Vice President Mike Pence was really kind of struggling with the idea of following uh, the president's orders to not certify the election and was trying to find ways in which he could possibly overthrow the election. And as he was considering doing this, he gave a call to former Vice President Dan Quayle. And the former vice president basically told him the truth and said, uh, Vice President, you cannot do this. You have a legal obligation to certify the election. In fact, he even said, I live in Arizona, and I'm telling you, Mike, nothing's going on out here, which we kind of all knew, and really just read uh, Pence, the, the riot act, saying that this, this was crazy stuff. Don't do it. And so who would have thought former Dan Quell, the uh, last position in a spelling bee, 
you know, save democracy for us. That's a, kudos to him. I take my hat off to it. Mitch, plurals are hard for some people. Okay, you add the ES to some words, you just add the S to others, and then sometimes that E gets left. It's okay. Hey, I do not criticize the vice president. Never have, never will on his spelling because I am a horrible speller. All <laughs> the letters get mixed up in my brain, and I just start throwing them against a wall and see what comes out. But I'm thankful that he was there and that he was willing to speak truth to, to power, like very literally to speak truth to power. Absolutely. And that's what's just really alarming to me is that how far right uh, some in the Republican Party have gone. Uh, I mean, really. And how just, far wrong. And how far wrong, yeah. Uh, because you do have, I mean, former uh, President George Bush last week connected uh, the 20th anniversary of 9-11 to what's going on in the country right now and the rise of white Christian nationalism and the insurrection of January 6th. You got Adam uh, Kinzinger uh, in, in the House that uh, you know, speaks with reason and rationality, uh, very conservative, but still you know, a voice of reason. I mean, there are people within the Republican Party that act with integrity, who are people of conviction, and I have always admired that about certain people. But they have to. They have to have reason. They have to have uh, the ability to think uh, for themselves independently, yeah. and not tout this craziness uh, that we've seen in the last few years. Yeah, and we actually have a really great example of a conservative person who was willing to ask questions and change their mind about things in our show today. We do. Uh, Jeremy Coleman is a local pastor here in the Oklahoma City area who's gone viral on TikTok. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about TikTok here in just a second. But, you know, he spoke his mind. He spoke out in support of vaccines, uh, spoke out against the craziness of the Trump administration and white uh, Christian nationalism and the rise of that in the church cost him his position uh, at his local church, and but uh, he's still being a prophet uh, digitally across social media. And just a, it's a great interview, and I look forward to to bringing that to you. Before we get to that interview, though, Autumn, I do want to say a word about the article that uh, was published this week that I wrote concerning limbo hell uh, that our clergy find ourselves or find themselves in. Autumn Jeremy's Arch just one of many yep, pastors you're right, who's you're... found himself or herself in this position. 100%. Our clergy are really, really struggling. Uh, we were invited out last week by the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship to Southern California for an outdoor retreat. Uh, and it was, it was a wonderful time, but uh, we gathered outside uh, just kind of talking about ministry, talking about church life, talking about the pandemic. Uh, just really, it was a, a moment of respite for, for many of them. But the the constant theme that we heard then, as we have been hearing over the last several months, is just the 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 angst, the agony, the difficulties that our clergy are going through during this last eighteen months. I mean, they're really, really hurting. And so I wrote a little bit about that this week in my column called the COVID nineteen limbo. But we're making an offer to local churches across the country here at Good Faith Media. We want you, we want to challenge you, uh, if you're a church leader, to give your pastor an extra week of vacation uh, sometime within this calendar year or the next calendar year. Yes. I'm telling you, they deserve it. It could be the difference between saving their ministry 
or you be look, or you're looking for a new pastor in the next uh, 12 to 18 months because they are just absolutely burned out. So if you could give them an extra week of vacation, here's the offer. Here at Good Faith Media, we are offering to come to your church and fill the pulpit for that week. No cost to your church. We will do it for free. We'll pay for our travel expenses. We'll be there for you. Uh, we just feel that strongly in the local church. We feel that strongly in helping our clergy get through uh, this limbo that we're in. And we just want to be able to help and, and lift our local churches and our clergy up. So we just want to make that offer to you. And, and I hope that uh, many churches take us up on that. Yeah, and it's um, we are an organization that is filled with pastors who are ready to have a pulpit. And so, and they're good pastors and they're quality pastors. And you may hear a voice uh, from a body that has never stood in your pulpit before. Somebody who looks different than you're used to seeing. And so um, I just think this is a great offer all the way around. Give your church a, a, a new voice, a voice of good faith, if you will. Uh, give your pastor a week to love on their kids and take a minute to breathe. And this is just, a, I think it's a beautiful offer that you've made, Mitch, and I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. Well, I'm excited too, and like I said, I hope uh, lots of uh, congregations uh, give their clergy an extra week off. It doesn't cost you anything to give them an, an extra week off, uh, and it could mean the world to them. So uh, let's let's stand up for our our clergy and, and make certain that they know that they are loved and appreciated, and we'll do our part on our end as well. Well, stay tuned because Autumn and I sat down with one of those pastors, Jeremy Coleman, and he is an absolute delight. Uh, made me laugh several times. Uh, he's got this great Oklahoma accent that uh, you and I just adore, Autumn, and he's yep. just a, a delightful person and uh, just just full of, of, of wisdom and energy and excitement, and so I think you're going to enjoy if, our interview. And if you haven't heard of him, you should ask your younger people in your family, because when Ava, my daughter, who's 14, heard that that pastor from Oklahoma had been in my claufus on an interview, she absolutely fangirled. She was like, <laughs> oh, Mom, are you kidding me? I've been following him for almost a year. She could not handle herself. So even if you haven't heard of that pastor from Oklahoma, I bet somebody in your house has. That's fantastic. So, well, uh, stay tuned because uh, Autumn and I sat down with Jeremy and you're going to enjoy it. I'm Reverend Kendall Ray Rothis, and my latest book is just out. Thy Queendom Come, Breaking Free from the Patriarchy to Save Your Soul. Thy Queendom Come is a feminist reimagining of the kingdom of God. Hierarchy is replaced with a reign of love. Women's voices and stories are valued. Reverence for the divine feminine reemerges from the ashes of its martyrdom. Order your copy of Thy Queendom Come, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. Today, we've got Jeremy Coleman, who uh, we welcome to the pod, but more people may recognize Jeremy as that pastor from Oklahoma on TikTok. Pastor Jeremy Coleman uses TikTok to reach people and discuss difficult topics and to confront difficult issues facing the American Evangelical Church. Coleman most recently was the worship pastor at West Metro Community Church in Yukon, Oklahoma. He's been in ministry for over 15 years. And Jeremy shares his thoughts about about Christian nationalism and why he thinks President Trump, or former President Trump, and his message resonated with evangelical Christians. Jeremy, welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about it. 
Yeah, we're happy to have you, and we're neighbors, which is so nice. You're just up yeah. five a little ways, a couple of sonic stops away. Right. So it's kind of a, a down-home week on yeah. the pod. That's right. Yeah, there you go. yeah we, we don't measure I things love- in miles or kilometers around here in Oklahoma. We do it by sonic stops or oh, 7-Elevens, or if you're on the east side of Oklahoma, QTs. So you know how it goes. QTs exactly. sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so can you tell us a little more about your path to your faith and then through to ministry how did your roman road lead you to tiktok basically? oh my gosh we're getting into the, the roman, roman road already road. Wow. <laughs> i went there i have a child i'll send to you later i haven't I, I haven't thought about that in a long time um i i uh, i yes i will pray to should i have said trigger warning maybe i should have said <laughs> maybe um so i i um i, I grew up in in a in a conservative uh, church background in a conservative family. Um, and I, I, you know, I was, I was one of those kids that I was always going to church. Like my parents went to church my whole life. We grew up in Southern Baptist life. And so, you know, going to smaller traditional Southern Baptist churches a lot growing up. Um, and I just remember, uh, having a very real like experience with understanding who Jesus was and what that meant to me. Um, I was, I was younger. I was, I was seven and I remember Jesus becoming very real, uh, to me at that time that, uh, that his, his goodness, his grace, his mercy was something that I needed in my life, um, for all the reasons that I fall short for all the reasons that He set a perfect example for us. And so, so, um, that, that's, that's kind of the place where I encountered Jesus. He became very real to me. Um, and just, I saw the need for that in my life and, and, and for his grace, his goodness, his mercy, uh, to impact me and, and, and to, and to guide my steps. And so, um, as I, as I kind of walked in that process, what I began to discover was that, I knew the impact that a, that a relationship, not a religion, a mm-hmm. relationship with Jesus and not a religion could have on people because of that grace and that mercy and that goodness. And that the fact that the words of Jesus are comforting and the, and the, and the hope of Jesus is comforting. And so I just saw a lot of brokenness and a lot of hurting. Um, I remember I was in high school and I started volunteering at, uh, at a local middle school here in Oklahoma city. And I was just, I was working with the PE teacher, just playing dodgeball and like soccer and stuff with the kids. And I just remembered falling in love with hanging out with students like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was just, I was super passionate about, just showing them grace and and showing them that that compassion and showing them you know what it looks like to walk out life well hopefully in Jesus and and not that not that I always do that great but um but it was just it was just a ton of fun and so uh that's kind of when I felt that pull uh originally to go into student ministry so Jeremy let me follow up the question there uh, because I mean you mentioned earlier on that you grew up in conservative uh Southern Baptist churches and autumn and I did as well uh, I grew up uh, on the east side of, of Oklahoma in Tulsa uh, in a Southern Baptist congregation and all of us the at least the the folks that I have talked to who have 
where their theology and their practice of faith has evolved throughout the years, have always been very grateful for that foundation that was poured for them in those early stages. Uh, but there is this moment in time for all of us, it's as though, you know, there's this, this great uh, foundation that was poured through us, through uh, our church leaders, our pastors, our Sunday school teachers, um, and they, they taught us the Bible, they, they exposed us to these biblical stories. But then there's this moment as though that's all, they, that's all you need to read of the Bible. Or trust me on what got yeah, that one. Yeah, trust me in what I'm saying, uh, and that's all you need to know. Mm-hmm. And there are those read, of a, read this, don't ask questions. Right, 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 yes. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's this moment where you you keep reading and you keep asking questions. And it's not, you know, it's not that you felt like you're being lied to. It's just as though like you didn't get the rest of the story. And I've explained it to, mm. to other people as though I kind of graduated out of that. And I wanted to, you know, to, to take my, to make my faith to, uh, you know, a different level, uh, so to speak, of trying to understand the scriptures more thoroughly and what that meant for us uh, as a people of faith. Did you have that, uh, that moment in your life as well? So I think there's a couple of key moments that kind of help that process. And then eventually it had like a major turning point my freshman year of college. So the the first one was in second grade, I picked up a book at the book fair at my elementary school, and it was about Martin Luther King Jr. And I remember, I remember reading about that, uh, reading about him and, and the, and the difference that he was making and how he was, a, he was a Baptist pastor. And I thought, you know, just my young mind was like, I'm a Baptist too, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought this was, I thought this was really fascinating that he had pushed back against the status quo. And the more that I read about that, realizing people were using the Bible to defend their bigotry and their racism. And he was pushing back with scripture and love that was coming from a place of Jesus. So that was always ingrained in the back of my mind. I was also really fortunate to grow up in a school district here in uh, Oklahoma City that's diverse. So I had a very diverse friend group. Mm -hmm. So I remember like in middle school, like I would sit with my friends and talk about stuff. And they were like, bro, you, you don't, you don't understand like our culture and, and the, and the things that we've experienced are a lot different than you. And, and so I remember having a conversation with a friend. So fast forward, I had a conversation with a friend in seventh grade who explained to me why he was afraid of the police. Mm. And I was like, and my eyes were just so open. Fast forward a little bit more, I get into high school and I, and I, I've got a friend of mine who's black and he's coming to, to Arkansas with me, which is where my family is from. And uh, my grandpa, who grew up in Arkansas in the 50s and 60s, segregated, racist, Southern state, um, in a very, like, uh, rural area. Uh, I remember having a conversation with him around the dinner table with my friend, and he was like, and he looks my friend in the face, and he talked to him the way he talked to me. And he goes, son, I want you to know how much I love you because God has shown me so much about how wrong I was and the people who raised me and how wrong they were. And my grandpa was my hero. And to hear that, I was like, man, like, like he was like, I had to read the Bible for myself and realize that God loved us all the same. And I was like, if he's digging in, like what else is there? And so then that last final topple was when I got into college and I, 
I started taking a philosophy class with, with Dr. Miller. I'll never forget it. And he just began to challenge me to ask questions when I read scripture. He was like, do you read the Bible in historical context? Do you read the Bible in cultural context? Do you read the Bible in literary context? Or are you taking everybody else's answers and asking no questions? Mm-hmm. And it blew my mind. And the first time that I really like had this whoa moment, he used to give us six test prompts, essay prompts for tests. And he would come in with a, with a die and he would roll it. And the first two numbers he rolled were the test prompts we wrote on. Mm-hmm. And he would always say the same thing. He would walk in on test day and he would say, there is no such thing as an accident. And God sometimes changes his mind. And he would roll the dice. <laughs> <laughs> and so like the first time he did that, I raised my hand so fast. And he goes, he goes, Coleman, what are you, what are you thinking? And I was like, I was like, uh, I don't believe there's accidents either, but God does not change his mind. And he was like, well, who told you that? I grew up believing that you see, you know, God is the same today, yesterday and forever and, you know, whatever. And he goes, yeah, he goes, but man, uh, have you ever looked at the story of Jonah? Uh-oh. And I was like, what? Bible stories against you. (laughs) He was using VBS on my hand. (laughs) And and he goes, he goes, not the part about the big fish and getting thrown up on the beach. He goes, that's, that's stuff we all, we've all heard. He goes, he goes, let me talk to you about this. He goes, he goes, what did he tell Jonah to go do? I said, he told Jonah to go tell the Ninevites that he was going to destroy them. Yep. He goes, was there anything else around that? Or did he just say in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Well, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. He said, okay, so Jonah goes in, he tells people the message of God, and he says, in 40 days, God's going to destroy you because of the choices that you've made. And then it says that from the king all the way down, everybody tore their clothes, covered themselves in ashes, and they prayed for repentance from God. And he goes, what does scripture say there? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. I just know God didn't destroy him. And he goes, scripture says God relented. And it rattled my face. And he goes, so and then he, he hit me with this question, and this is the one that just sent me over the edge. He goes, did God lie to Jonah or did God change his mind? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and Because you can't, like, you can't say God lied. Right, 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 right. We'll get smitten. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Smote. That's right, we'll smoke. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, I was in an Old Testament class at Southwestern many, many moons ago, and one of my professors pointed out the conversation between Yahweh and Moses uh, as uh, he was giving the, as God was giving the Ten Commandments to Moses, and there was a commotion down at the bottom of the mountain, and uh, the Hebrews had decided to, to build their golden ark, or to build the, their golden statue, and, you know, we're, we're, you know, engaged in revelry, as, as I think the, the Old Testament suggested. And God's ready to smite him. He's just ready to, to totally come down and start over with Moses. And then all of a sudden, uh, Moses kind of chastises Yahweh. And it's very clear in the Hebrew that it says, Moses changes the mind of God. And it was like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. God, you know, God's mind can change on things like this. I mean, God's open. Shit. This is open for conversation. <laughs> well, and, and that was the thing. And then, so as I got further and further into that, what I started to see were, were things where we would see, for example, and, you know, I know a lot of my really conservative friends would call this heresy, but 
you you begin to look at so you take that mindset you take that lens right of like i'm going to ask good questions i'm going to realize that that god is the god of truth and that the things around that are going to be um well for example you look at the writings of paul paul was writing when you look at it at it historically and culturally Paul was writing to specific churches at specific times in specific places. Mm. And so like when I come across and I say, I believe that women can lead in the church in any way, shape, form, or fashion that they feel called by God to do, that's because there is something in the way that Jesus edified and empowered women that was eternal in his ministry. And then there was something about the way Paul was writing to specific circumstances. It's not that we don't need those truths. It's not that the things that Paul was saying is irrelevant or not important to our faith, but we have to look at the scriptures in total. And that means cultural, biblical, and historical context and understanding that Jesus was speaking of kingdom things and Paul was speaking of earthly things, whether we like that concept or not. Yeah. Yeah. I love those answers, Jeremy. I mean, that's just great. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about uh, TikTok. I mean, because you have chosen this medium to uh, to make your claim uh, within social media world. There's, you know, those of us, uh, you know, who may be a tad older than you, you know, still on Facebook and the Twitter and, and stuff like that and, and doing Insta. But you've chosen TikTok primarily because it fits your voice very, very well. Now, some have called you a bit of a unicorn on uh, TikTok because you are from Oklahoma. You're an evangelical uh, Christian, unashamedly. But even though you might drive a big truck, you don't have the typical bumper stickers, uh, you know, uh, on, on the tailgate <laughs> that many people uh, that many people have. So tell Missing us a, a little, couple of flags. That's exactly, exactly <laughs> right. Tell us a little bit about uh, your experience uh, on TikTok, the community that you have found. Are you, are there more unicorns out there? Is is there a bigger group out there than because you know the media often and and we're part of it. We understand it often. We uh, categorize people and lump people in together and we understand that things are more nuanced than that obviously sure. so tell us a little bit about what you're finding in this messaging on tiktok there is a ton of um uh folks that i would consider to be uh purple elephants mm-hmm. if that makes sense mm-hmm. sure absolutely um, and uh it, it's been really fun to find that community because i mean as, as y'all know as fellow okies um, there are a ton of times when you feel like a, you know, a small fish in a really big ocean and you don't see anything else other than sharks, you know? And, um, and so it, it's been refreshing and restoring to me, uh, in that sense. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't know. I do want to back up a touch. You know, you said that my voice is really suited to TikTok. And I, and I still don't know if I, you know, I appreciate that compliment. I'm not sure that I would say that. I, I, I just think, and I certainly didn't get on the platform because of that. Um, I, truth be told, full transparency, I got on TikTok because my wife and I were finding couples humor videos on other platforms that were tagged with the TikTok watermark. Mm-hmm. And I got on there and I was like, I can follow some of these creators that I keep running across that I think are really funny or that I, I enjoy their stuff. 
And it'll just be a quicker way to get that. And I can just text it straight out of the app to my wife. Mm -hmm. That's why I got on TikTok. Yeah. Then I started to kind of notice things and, and whatever. And I pulled up to my polling place on election day and I looked around and I went, oh, that'd be really funny. TikTok, you know, just kind of like whatever, like maybe I'm sticking my neck out a little bit, but right, right. I think it would be really funny because I'm not going to say anything crazy. Like, I'm just going to say I voted for Joe Biden, which I guess in Oklahoma, that is that, that could uh, yeah. be crazy. <laughs> yeah. But but, I, I, you know, I'm not going to get off into a thousand reasons. I'm not sure. going to, you know, whatever. And uh, and it just it blew up. Sure. I mean, you know, so. And and we kind of we kind of took off from there, and then so people started, you know, they started poking the purple elephant. They wanted to know why. They were like, uh, "You got the big truck, you got the, you know, you're the Oklahoma guy, pastor, truck, you know, all it's of those." Not things. adding like, up. It's not adding up. Yeah, yeah. Two and two always equals four. <laughs> right. Why are you a calculus five? for sure? Yeah. <laughs> so it was just like, uh, so so when people started asking questions, I was like, "Well, I answer that question." Um, probably sometimes to my, uh, benefit other times to my detriment. Um, you know, there's been a lot of learning in the process for sure. It's been, it's been tough. There's been a lot of ups and downs. There's no doubt about it, but it's, it's been, it's been crazy and, and fun. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. Well, you're doing that. a great job and I really you appreciate are. it. And you're finding and other people to connect with, right? Yeah. Yeah. Finding a lot of really amazing creators. I, I do a podcast with, uh, with two other really great creators, one from Tennessee, another from California. Uh, we do a podcast called Evangelical-ish. Um, and actually, I think, um, you know, I we had the chance to connect with Callie, who wrote an article for you guys. Uh, well, and she I, she's on staff with you, but right, right. Um, but she uh, uh, she wrote an article and, and, and actually featured April as well. So we thought it was really funny that, like, we both got the articles and we were like, oh, wait, oh, there's April, there's Jeremy, you know, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so that's super fun. Um, but yeah, some really, really great creators and, uh, you know, just a network of folks uh, from all across the country. That doesn't mean that there's not ups and downs even sure. inside that community. Sure. Um, and and it's it's definitely challenging. And then now on this side where uh, this has become, you know, kind of my full time focus, uh, it, it becomes even another level of challenging. Right. Like right. keeping up with the content and doing all the extra stuff. And so it's like I said, I wouldn't trade it, but, it, but, you know, it definitely has its, uh, it, it has its days. There's That's no awesome. doubt. It does. What I appreciate about your content is that you're speaking truth, right? You're speaking truth to power, but you're doing it with kindness. And that mm. the element of humor that you include mm. takes off some of the barbs, I think that could be sort of poking people otherwise. And so I, I really appreciate that about you. And I, I think it's a, you've got a real gift for that and I'm so glad that you found a place. I do have a very um a little more serious question though. Sure. Do you have guidance for those of us who love and like and or are related to people who have bought into this sort of radicalization? I'm, yeah. I'm just gonna call it radicalization. Yeah. In the it, past it, five years that's been exacerbated in the past 19 months. Have you had successful, meaningful conversations? What do they look like? How do they start? I'm going to take notes. Um, so the first thing that you have to realize is that it's really hard to hate somebody. And I, I say this a lot, and people probably get tired of hearing about it, but it's really hard to hate somebody you sit down kneecap to kneecap with. Mm. Whether, whether that means via Zoom, whether that means at a coffee shop, whatever you feel comfortable with, right? Because, I mean, you know, we're still in pandemic life. Mm -hmm. Um, but that 
you sit down with somebody not to give answers, but to listen. Mm. And I want to hear your perspective. And I want to, because here's the thing, to be trauma-informed means to understand that everybody is coming from their angle for a reason, right? They have something in their life, good, bad, or indifferent, that has informed their decisions to end up where they are. And so I have tried really hard to take steps back, especially in those personal relationships like we're talking about, to take steps back and say, let's sit down and I want to hear you, Mm -hmm. right? Because I think that's super important is to go in without an agenda to prove a point. Because so many times what we do, and especially in online interaction, we just drive by each other and just plaster each other to a wall. And then we expect that to make some kind of change. All that does is entrench people deeper in their own values. That does not change anyone's mind. Mm -hmm. The only thing that brings commonality is good relationship and good conversation. Uh, And I had a a really um, amazing moment of that here uh, recently with my dad. Um, who is much more conservative than me. And we had a ton of tension. Like when this thing first took off, I honestly believe that along with some other things caused some major tension and we just were not listening to each other. And finally, he and I sat down at my kitchen table and had a real conversation. And then here about a week ago, I kid you not, week, maybe two weeks ago, when some stuff hit the fan, here in Oklahoma city, just uh, some fallout of uh, some interviews I had done and things like that. He looks at me and goes, son, I believe that people need your voice. And whether I agree with everything you say, you're still starting good conversation and the world needs that. And then he, he invested in me. And this is the, this is the crazy part. And I'm going to try to share this. Okay. He goes, he goes, we named you after Jeremiah because that was a prophet that even though he didn't see a lot of fruit, he just continued to stay faithful and to share God's word. And even though people didn't want to listen, or even though people didn't agree with him, we can, he continued to be passionate about the word of God Mm -hmm. and to share it with the people. And he goes, that's what we've prayed for you. And that's what you're doing. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it it rattled my face. And so but it took it took sitting down, getting all the garbage on the table at my kitchen table, and finally going, you know what? Despite it all, I love you. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying, I, I hear. What you're saying matters. And we're going to walk through it together. And, and that doesn't mean we agree. That's not the requirement. The requirement is, is that we love each other and we have each other's best interests in mind. And, and so I think if we can humble ourselves to that, we're going to be in a lot better shape. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Jeremy. That's great. You know, at Good Faith Media, we've been talking a lot about the current state of the church, especially uh, clergy that have been serving so faithfully over the last 18 months during the pandemic. Um, There's been a lot of water under the bridge uh, with the most recent election, with the pandemic, with the social justice uprising after the death of uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. There's been a lot of heaviness 
on the church and on the church's clergy over the last 18 months. There's been a record number of clergy who have been living, leaving ministry altogether. It seems as though the church is, is really the traditional way of us understanding the church is struggling at this time. Jeremy, as someone who's got their finger on the pulse of, of church and culture, where do you see the future of the church prospering? Is it, is it going to look differently? Is it going to act differently? Um, what, what do you think is going on right now? You know, Fiddlestickle, the great theologian who passed away a few years ago, said that every 500 years the church goes through a rummage cell, and here we are, the church, going through another rummage cell. Oh. <laughs> what do you think is going on good. right now, and where's the future? Um, I, I, would, I would agree with my conservative brothers and sisters when they say that there's going to be a lot of false teachers and that there's going to be a great falling away and that out of that is going to be a revival. Mm. I don't disagree with that. I just think it's the opposite of what they think it is. Wow. Very. Um, and, and so when people look at me and they say, you're a false teacher, this is the great falling away we saw coming, you know, when they look at a Greg Locke, bless God and say, you know, here's the revival that's coming. I say, it's probably, you're, you're probably calling the pieces, right. But you got them in the wrong spot. Yeah. Um, I think the falling away is the American evangelical church running to conservative nationalism. And the revival that we have prayed for so earnestly in conservative churches and in just evangelical churches in America in general for, for decades and for generations are those who are deconstructing and, and deciding that they are going to follow Jesus of the scriptures, not the Jesus of America, that they're going to follow the Jesus of Israel, not the Jesus of America. Mm. And that, and, 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 and that's, that's what I truly believe uh, is happening. Um. You know, and I, I know, obviously, I would get a lot of pushback on that because I do. But I, I think that the church is going to come out on the other side looking more like Jesus, that the bride of Christ is going to look more like the bride of Christ on the other side uh, than it does with the current white evangelical nationalism version that is so predominant in our churches, especially in the quote-unquote Bible Belt, which I think is probably the greatest lie uh, perpetuated by the enemy in the history of ever. Absolutely. Well said. Very well said. Wow, that's, that's really good. And you started, you started saying these words, and I was like, okay, this is, where's he going with this? But yes, absolutely. I, uh, He's like, you agree with who? Wait a minute. And it's okay. like, I agree with him on so many things, right? But he raised us. Um, I'm still following the same Jesus they, like, put me on the path of, you know? Like, that's, I think that's the thing that is so hard is, you know, the folks who raised us are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, exactly what you taught me to do. The problem that happened, yeah, that say that the problem that happened was is see the mistake they made is they taught us about the actual Jesus in the Bible and then raised us in a culture that taught us to ask good questions. And we're now in a place where, and I tell people this all the time, you know, like when I uh, look at high school students or whoever, 
I was like, it's not that they're running away from Jesus. They just are tired of inauthentic Jesus. Mm, so because when you tell them anything about history or Jesus or the Bible, they are about 0.2 seconds away from finding answers because all they're going to do is pick up their phone and Google it. Yep. So they're going to know they're going to call your bull crap so fast. And, and it's not that it's not that they don't want Jesus. They just want authentic Jesus. So they hear about this Jesus who loves everybody, love your neighbor, love your enemy, turn your, turn the other cheek, you know, uh, heal, forgive, you know, give justice, stand for the oppressed, the brokenhearted. They see that Jesus. They heard you talk about that Jesus. And then you said, but that Jesus only likes Americans who look like us. And they went, whoa, time out. Yeah. And they threw the brakes on. And that's where you left them right there. And so for a lot of us, it wasn't that the Jesus you gave us to begin with was the wrong one. It's just where you took him. That was the problem. And so we're, we're, we're happy to hang with Jesus. We just, you got lost somewhere along the way and we didn't want that ride. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well, I feel like you've already told us so much, but at Good Faith Media, our tagline is there's more to tell. So in light of everything that we've talked about in your journey, what is your more to tell? I, I think I think my more to tell uh, would be that there is still something really important about having a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus. and something that I've shared a ton with people recently who were like, how do I handle this trauma? How do I handle this hurt from religion and from the church? And the one thing, and this is probably the, the punchline of the thing that I would, I would share for my more to tell is to remember that the conservative American evangelical church does not speak for God. God speaks for himself. And to remember that the words of Jesus are still true and that just because they've twisted it to fit a narrative does not change the fact that Jesus is still Jesus. God is still God. God is still love. God is still grace. God is still goodness, mercy, and forgiveness. And just because they've decided to weaponize that to fit a narrative doesn't mean that it's true and that you can lean into Jesus because he is faithful and because he's steady and because he's perfect, and you can walk away from that trauma knowing that you're walking into the arms of a good and loving God just the way you always thought he was. Amen, amen. Well said. Absolutely. Jeremy Coleman, better known as that pastor from Oklahoma. Make sure you check out his TikTok and give his podcast a listen. We'll put all that in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, it's been an absolute delight. You're an inspiration. Thank you for being a sound voice. You are a prophet here in the Sooner State, and we thank you for it, sir. It's It's been a blast. Uh, let's do it again. Absolutely. To our listeners, thank you again for tuning in to Good Faith Weekly. Until next week, Autumn and I will join you back right here, same time, same place. Until then, keep living good faith.